And open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 4. Psalm 4. We're in a series, Timeless Questions from the Psalms. This question is a little bit different because David really asked it of the opponents and not of God. Uh, but God nonetheless answers the question. Begin with inscription. There, this is the word of God. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, indeed, your word stands forever. Uh, Father, what a delight to sing your word with just singing the 100th Psalm. What a delight now to come to your word and to hear you speak to us this morning. So, Father, for that, we need your spirit to be at work. So we pray for your spirit to give us good understanding of what David's asking here, why he's asking it. Lord, what's it got to do with us? Father, how you would have us to live in your world. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the night before Nicholas Ridley is to be burned at the stake, along with his friend Hugh Latimer, for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Ridley's brother makes the offer, thinking what a long night it will be, to stay with him. So what's Ridley's response? We'll come back to that. It's nighttime and David's restless. His mind is racing. The verbal onslaught that he is taking is, is weighing him down. Malicious slander, outright lies. How's he going to get his mind clear? How's he going to get a good night's sleep? You know, we live in a world where there is real persecution of Christians. Places like Afghanistan, like North Korea, like China, like Nigeria. At this point in the United States, Christians do not face physical persecution, by which I mean uh, imprisonment, torture, and execution. But while for the first 225 years or so, the church was mainly viewed favorably by the people, it seems like in the 21st century it's no longer so. Attitude towards Christians have changed and towards our, uh, and, uh, toward our beliefs on morality and human dignity, and we can even speak of the attitude the world takes towards anybody who will not join the Canadian Premier, Justin Trudeau, who seriously calls people to join the 2SLGBTQQIA plus movement. All right. While we're not physically persecuted, we're not liked. We're falsely accused of, of hating people just because we don't agree with people. We're called phobic because we will not fall in line with their agenda. 
And they try to shame us for what we know is true. And sadly, there's a lot of harsh rhetoric everywhere in our nation these days. Social media is full of, of hurtful words. Uh, as children, many of us were taught to say what? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. Right? Well, that's not true. Yes, sticks and stones will hurt us, but often that hurt is from words that run even deeper. So how does God handle it? With Psalm 3, a morning prayer, uh, when physical danger is the more immediate threat because of Absalom, Psalm 4 is an evening prayer with the destructive words of others. So the timeless question David asked his verbal abusers is this, How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? What's their answer? And more importantly, what's God's answer? Let's go to the text and see. First, let's look at David's prayer. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Now, in the inscription of the psalm, we read that it's a psalm of David. We read that he wrote it for the choir master and to use strings. Now, what's that tell us? Uh, Probably it means he intends this to be sung by the congregation. uh, Probably because David believes what he's experiencing is common, very common to to people. Um, And two, since he leaves out, notice the tambourine and the the brass, uh, no offense brass players, um, it seems he wants the music to be a little more reflective perhaps than triumphant. Because as David lies on his bed and he contemplates what people are saying to him and about him, the first thing he does is appeal to God. Now, why does he do that? Well, it's because that's his pattern. That's what David does. That's his default position. He talks about his life with God, his struggles with life all throughout the Psalms. He's direct. He does not beat around the bush. Answer me when I call. And he gives God a name that's found nowhere else in the Bible. God of my righteousness. So scholars debate, you know, what's exactly David have in mind when he calls God that? Uh, In all probability, I believe he's trying to communicate that God's a righteous God. uh, And that the source of his... David's righteousness is God himself. Uh, He's appealing to the character of God. And in a sense, he's asking God here in this psalm, what's he do with what the people are saying about him? Now, why is that? Well, as David says in Psalm 11, 7, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. David is dependent upon God uh, to to know um, what a righteous deed looks like in this situation. Because notice, he looks at his past experiences to to talk about relief that God's given him in the darkness. The word there actually has the idea of somebody pressing you into a corner, and God has has let up and he's let you out of the corner. Perhaps think of it as you've been in a, in a narrow place, and God's let you go and be out in a, in a broad place. And now he's asking God to do it again. But notice it's not a demand. 
He's appealing to God to be gracious to him. God hearing our prayers is a demonstration of his grace to us. It's nothing he owes us. God is gracious to hear us, to hear our pleas. So David's praying. In a real sense, verse 1 is that prayer. And the rest of the psalm becomes a background uh, to it and really helps God answer that prayer for David. So let's look at David's proclamation into the world. Verse 2, All men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? And how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Uh, So there's the full text of the timeless question this morning. He's being verbally attacked by people around the world. It's a world, let's face it, that loves to shame people. Uh, A world that loves vanity. A world that loves lies. A world that specializes in distorting reality with their own empty words. We hear it when testimony is given to Congress that, that men can have babies. And David's speaking to that world. The word he uses is not the typical word for man, which is Adam, but it's the more generic ter- general term, that, that, uh, which is the general term, rather, but it's a word that has the idea of, uh, of men of, of high rank, the movers and the shakers. That's who he's been verbally assaulted by. Uh, and our first reaction might be fear, or it might be a plea, leave me alone. Please act with civility. But civility was lacking in David's day, even it is today. So notice David prays for God's intervention. He pulls no punches. And his evaluation is what they're saying. He terms their words vain or worthless. He calls them lies, the distortion of truth. Blind either to the existence of God or of God's involvement in his world, they've missed God's will. They've missed God's truth for God's world. David sees attacks on him as attacks on God. And that's what's happening today. I mean, we may receive the verbal blows, but friends, they're directed towards God. So why can David see so clearly through his opponent's bluster? Friends, it's because God is bigger. David's God is bigger than they are. We saw that last week as we, as we looked at Psalm 139. Those who attempt to intimidate God's people, what they're saying is, your God is small and so are you. To bar Sinclair Ferguson's words, David says, I see right through you, little man. You're a grasshopper. First, we're not to fear people. We're to fear God. The thing is, it, it angers unbelievers when we don't fall down in surrender. It's amazing we watch in the Gospels as the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priest think that they can intimidate Jesus. They use insults, false accusation, physical torture, execution, and they fail. That's why Psalm 2 says God sits in heaven and laughs at their antics. And then we read Selah. Now, we really do not know what that means. Most probably people think it means a musical interlude. It gives the reader or it gives the singer time to think about what's just been sung or read. 
Of course, you've heard me quote Sidney Cox on this. Uh, that very often we could read the words like this, can you beat that? Can you beat that? Can you beat that? How they go on and on and on with their ideas and their wishful thinking and their lies. So David asked them, how long, people? Or in the time he's saying, come on, man. Come on. Why? Well, notice verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now, we don't want to miss that verse. Uh, God sets us apart for himself. We're made for fellowship with God. We're made to walk with God like Abraham. I mean, contemplate the grace behind that. Contemplate the love behind it. Contemplate the mercy behind it. God has set us apart to be with him. God chooses us for fellowship with him. God says about us, these are mine. Now, we reminded ourselves last week that we're immortal on planet Earth until we finish God's work. And the answer to that is because we're, we're God's alone. We're set apart for him. And then David gives his enemies some advice. Verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Now, if, if angry is the best translation of that, what David was saying is this, you, you think you're justified by being angry with me. Well, you're in danger of sinning. And of course, Paul picks up on the thought in the New Testament. He tells us to be angry and, and sin not. Now, another possible translation, and probably better here, would be tremble and do not sin. The actual Hebrew word describes being agitated or, or stirred up or, or shaken. It may mean shaking with fear. It may mean shaking with anger. Both of those are very legitimate translations. And David's probably sharing his own experience here. Trembling with fear because of the, the trouble surrounding David, he's not receiving quick release from his trials, but still not sinning. Tremble and do not sin. Fear of your circumstances? Yes. Uh, doubting the ways of the Lord? Absolutely not. Understanding the ways of the Lord? Not always. Trusting the ways of the Lord, yes. Going to sleep at night, thinking on the mysterious ways of God, trusting God's plan for our life, even when it does not match up with, with everything that we want. In other words, as we lie there, tremble with the reality that God is God. And so, so David advises the wicked to do that. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Now, let's be honest, the night brings the temptation to, uh, to brood, to, to fear. So David directs the sinner to get alone with the Lord, to review and evaluate himself, that he might be convinced of sin, that, that change is needed. The trouble is, here's what evil people usually do. Psalm 36.4, he plots trouble while he's on his bed. He sets himself in a way that's not good. He does not reject evil. Micah 2.1. 
Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it's in the power of their hand. Let's understand the wicked. They're committed to wickedness. They step and think about it and think about ways to be even more wicked. Even more rebellious against God. Because David is with the challenge to be silent. You know, in a world of noise, uh, in a world of noisy rhetoric, in a word, world where <coughs> excuse me, every word we've ever written is kept and open to scorn, no matter how long ago. Just be silent and think about God and his word. Silence is a marvelous gift from God in our noise-polluted world. And then again, David calls for a musical interlude. He wants them to reflect on that. And then he moves on to challenge them with the gospel. Watch as David tells them in verse, I bet there's a better way. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. David does not directly address here, their hate for him or their lies towards him. But what he addresses is their need for a right relationship with God. And that's only going to come when they realize their sin and rebellion and hence that they need a sacrifice to have a right relationship with God. In other words, we need to, to repent of one's sin and place one trust in the Lord. That's in Jesus. The demonstration of that would be for them in their day to, to offer a sacrifice that points to the coming sacrifice, the coming ultimate sacrifice for sin, the Messiah. Their hatred of us, their lies about us and about God's world, are, are, their lies about creation are rooted in the rebellion against God. There's a verse that's intrigued me over the last couple of months. It's over in Psalm 12. It's verse 4. And it puts words in the mouths of the enemies of the people of God uh, and the enemies of God. And here's what it says. They say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Say that the, the, the pagan world thinks that that's their great possession. They think they control the words. If they control the words, if they control the vocabulary, if they control the dictionary, uh, they think they'll win the day. And God will not be master over them. Hence, we have the nonsense about men having babies. They think if they say it loud enough and often enough, people will believe them. Psalm 12 reminds us at the end, on every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of men. That's then, that's now. Our task, our commission is to respond always in love. It's to point people away from sin. It's to point them to the wonder of Jesus Christ, to the gospel. And then David quotes people who are not his enemies. They're probably friends. But they're frustrated at the way things are going in their nation. And they're frustrated that God's not stepped in and silenced the enemies. Verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? 
They want to see God do something. After continual disappointment with people, sometimes we wonder, is, when's God going to do something? Is God with us? So David pivots then in the last part of verse 6 with promises. And he turns and he speaks directly to God. In a world of turmoil, David describes the supreme joy of perfect trust in God. Verse 6, the lift up the light of your face upon us. So what's David do? He goes to the scriptures. He goes to the word of God. He goes to the great benediction. The great good word, the great blessing that Aaron was to pronounce on the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Friends, the greatest blessing we have, the greatest joy, is to behold the face of God. In a world that hates us, in a world that's full of lies, our security, our peace of mind, our endurance, rest in the presence of God, in our being before the face of God. And then David elaborates by saying, you've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Now we need to grab hold of verse 7, like verse 4. Uh, need to embrace, we need to believe it. The joy of my heart that comes from my relationship with God is better than any earthly blessing. The superlative comparison is striking. For the people, grain, bread, food to eat, and wine to drink. That's a source of God's provision in this life. That's a source of wealth. But David says, the joy in my heart is better. The source of that joy is the Lord. We do not manufacture that joy. We do not use mental techniques to get that joy. That joy is God-given. See, the world thinks they have it all. They have financial prosperity. The wealthy are envied, and they are celebrated, and they're listened to in our culture. They have the grain. They've got the wine. They've got the money. They've got the popularity. But we have something better. We have something deeper. We have something more valuable. We have something longer lasting. We have something we cannot lose. We have the joy, 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 joy. Where? Down in our hearts. Right. Down in our hearts to stay. And it's the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah said, is your strength. The joy in our hearts better. And it comes from the presence of God's face. One writer said, it's better to feel God's favor in one hour in our repenting souls than to sit whole ages under the warmest sunshine that this world affords. And with that joy comes an amazing gift in verse 8. You get to enjoy your sleep tonight. Look at verse 8. In peace I will lie down, both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Lots you could talk about. There are at least three gifts pop up in this amazing verse. Start with the second clause, that God alone makes us dwell in safety. 
We might think it's the security system if we remember to set it. We might think it's our parents sleeping in the next room or something else. Uh, but the real reason we dwell in safety is God. The God who's omnipresent. And with that hope of safety, David's going to lie down in peace. Friends, in a very chaotic, confused, contentious world, uh, God gives us peace. In the angry, loud, rebellious world we live in, God gives us peace. In the abrasive, uh, uncivil, hostile world we live in, God gives us peace. In a war-torn, lie-filled, hateful world, God gives us peace. So with God providing the safety and God providing the peace, we receive the gift of sleep. You remember when Jesus' disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up and the disciples are petrified and they, they think they're all going to drown. Remember at least four of them are professional fishermen. So it must have been some storm. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. See, he's putting Psalm 8 into, four, eight into practice. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It's been said that the church, at its best, is the arena of reality checks. That whether we want to admit it or not, when we gather as a church, we face the truth. The unrighteous often flourish, and the faithful are often ridiculed or ignored. In fact, we know that godliness tends to lead to, to persecution, to suffering. So Psalm 4 speaks to the deeper truth, if you will, of of what it means to follow Christ. So if we really do live out the Christian life, yes, we may be persecuted. Yes, we may be hated. But they hated Jesus. Yet in the midst of that, God gives us the peace that passes all human understanding. So what about us? How long will the world taunt us? Well, given that they were doing it 3,000 years ago, and they're doing it today, I'd suspect until Jesus comes again. The question is, how do we deal with it? So it was 466 years ago, this coming Saturday, that Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer were sentenced to die by Queen Mary uh, at the stake, to be burned at the stake, October 16th, 1555. The night before the execution, Ridley's brother indeed offered to spend the night with him, figuring it would be a long one for Ridley. And here's what Ridley replied. He declined, and he said that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in his life. Imagine that. It could be a torch the next day. Also reported that Queen Mary did not sleep very well that night. What was the difference? Psalm 4 tells us true happiness and faithfulness is found in the least likely places. I mean, we think it's the wealthy and the, uh, the powerful. They're, they're going to be joyful when they lie down to sleep. Uh, but what they have cannot make them happy. What make Ridley have a good night's sleep? Facing being burned at the stake. Uh, was just what David says here. Three things. One, it's the privilege of prayer. I'm sure Ridley prayed. Whatever the circumstances, 
here, David's frustrated. He's frightened. But we find ourselves at night and our minds racing and sleep seems so elusive because of our fears and our frustrations. We need to pray. What's the old gospel song say? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So we need God's perspective on people. Let's be honest. What people say and do can bother us. People's words are now electronically preserved for the ages. We can at night rehearse their words over and again on our beds. We can be filled with fear or maybe anger. But friends, remember, they're mere mortals. And God? Well, he's God. Turn the tables, ask them questions. Not that they they will give any answer, but they'll hopefully be confronted with the reality of God and the love he displays for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then finally, rest in these promises of God. The psalm's full of them. If you're here today and you're not yet a believer, we're glad you're here. We, we, uh, we, want you to know, we want you to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. We'd love to share with you afterwards because let me just share with you some of these promises. Right now, and they're all for believers. God answers prayer. God is gracious. God has set us apart for himself. God's filled us with joy. God has lifted up his face before us. God keeps us safe. God gives us peace. God gives us sleep. Now really, can you beat that? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the gracious God that you are, for your mercy towards us, Father, we would uh, pray, Lord, as uh, we face opposition. Lord, we don't want to respond with anger. We don't want to respond with frustration. Father, we want to respond with love. That they might come to know that you are Lord and King. That, Father, they might see the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That they might realize that all of us are sinners in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you that you've given us that assurance that you've set us apart for yourself. Father, you've given us joy. You've given us peace. Father, we are so grateful. So, Father, remind us of that today. Father, give us a a desire to share it with others tomorrow, or even today, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.